previously on Hashtag Colts Podcast. Oh, I wish it was that. <laughs> I wish that I wish that every time I walked into a room, I got that Dragon Ball Z previously. Well, have I isolated our listeners already? Probably. Hey, uh, I realize we have a lot of new listeners because we're playing our suite of episodes with the wonderful Mika Spielberg, who is, of course... Not only a, uh, a cam worker, she's in the sex industry, but is the daughter of Steven Spielberg. If you haven't heard the previous episodes, please, this is a documentary-style podcast. You've got to start from the beginning. We are investigating a cult called MGTOW. The format of this show is we're doing a documentary, and we take the interviews that we filmed and chop them up and analyze them as we continue to make the final feature-length documentary about this cult. I did one such interview with Mika Spielberg, and that's what we're listening to now. Uh, I wanted to interview someone in the camming industry. I approached Mika Spielberg. Uh, She was into it, and within seconds of starting our interview, she had already heard of MGTOW as a cult and had run-ins with it. And now we're kind of going through her experience, abuse, life, and I really think Mika is wonderful. Start the show over, and now we start the listening of the the show with the theme song, and then it starts again. Enjoy. What you are about to hear is the Hashtag Cult Podcast. What is a Hashtag Cult? Hashtag Cults are groups that signal membership by using a hashtag or keyword. This allows the group to operate on many different sites and makes them difficult to pinpoint. They use the hashtag model to spread propaganda on a variety of social media platforms without having a central account. This is usually because their ideas are offensive or their methods of communicating are abusive and border on website policy violations. In this show, we will show you the coercive groups and cults hiding in plain sight on the internet. just gonna start like we're radio professionals who the hell am i well i'm i'm mike ballack one of the co-hosts of hashtag cold podcast and who the hell is my co-host this time i'm rachel klachevsky i'm a sex and relationship therapist now not related to sex and relationship before we get started on a very exciting episode can i tell you you know i drink coffee um Mm -hmm. i have started a habit that I think people will look down on me for. And so I'm using you instead of the comedy people in my life to announce it on the internet. I'm a fan of coffee. I'm a fan of Coca-Cola. I've started mixing the two. Thoughts. That sounds like a mix that hurts my stomach. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's better than the judgment I thought I was going to get. I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to. It's definitely a flavor combo that's not as, as obscure as maybe people think. But I'm going to take what I can get right now in terms of, like, not being judged. And I'm just going to let let the, the, the listeners <laughs> weigh in however <laughs> they feel is fit. Uh, Wait, we, but can I ask a question? Yes, absolutely. 
does the coffee get carbonated or does the carbonation kind of die in the coffee? So this is what's interesting, why it's really in my, the forefront of my mind today is generally, I don't, you know, I don't um, drink soda so often, but so when I do like if the, when the, generally when I'm adding the coffee to the cup is like the, the soda is sort of half and half left over from at night and then I'll add the coffee and it'll sort of be flat. Today is the first time where I just had like half a cup of soda and was like, I'll top that off with some coffee. And so I am getting to try carbonated Coca-Cola coffee right now. It definitely is a different flavor combination than I had in the past. The, the bubbles are, let's try it right now. Yeah, the bubbles are not helping in, <laughs> in, in this instance. It, is this cold coffee or hot it, coffee? It's thankfully it's cold coffee <laughs> because because it it, it it the pot just cooled down. So thankfully it's cold. But uh, and there's no milk in this coffee. This is black coffee and Coca Cola. Yeah, but I want to make something clear just before I sound like an apologist. I'm totally okay with there being milk or cream in the combo. Um, I would, I, I think the only reason I haven't tried it is simply out because I know this was pointed out to me by my lovely partner, Potsy on happy days would drink Coca-Cola and milk. And that was a drink at one time and Coca-Cola and milk. What is, is a, is, is a, a root beer float by any other name. Are you being assailed by a robot, Rachel? <laughs> Um, no. What's that Why? beeping noise? Is that from my phone or yours? Oh, no, it's definitely from mine. My friend is it's okay. asking some questions. <laughs> I just, I just shut it off. Okay. I That's forgot. okay. It's fine. It's fine. I've tortured you with talking about Coca-Cola and milk. It's a root beer float. So I, I deserve some cell phoneage on, t <laughs> on top of this. But let's get Wow, you're really prostrating yourself for your tastes in drink. I'm I'm very ashamed of it, I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm not I'm not like I'm it's I eat a lot of weird stuff. Like there's this current trend in food right now where it's like someone will make something on a menu and I'll be like, that sounds like something I would make. Gross. The culinary world has sunk to a new low. Cause I will just like to me, the term salad is just like stuff that's around and it happens to be in a bowl. And that seems like where, so I never know what people think of. I love my food choices. I'm very in favor of Coca-Cola coffee. I'm sure Coke has a, a can of it laying around uh, in, in their, their test facilities somewhere. Um, the carbonation is not great. Uh, I will tell people to lay off on that, but maybe with milk. Um would Watch been somebody's going to connect their coffee to a soda stream. I'm just waiting to hear about that. Oh, oh, of course. Oh, of course. I'm definitely ahead of a trend in some weird, gross way. I, you know, we've never podcasted in person together. Rachel, I don't know how. I think we, we talked about this briefly. How do you take your coffee? Well, it depends. Mm -hmm. um, but I prefer iced coffee. Okay. And because I don't have sugar, I use stevia. Okay. And sometimes I add dairy milk and sometimes I add milks like from varied nuts, whichever one, almonds, macadamia. Mm -hmm. I've done hemp milk. I don't love it. What, what is this? 
Hemp milk. What is that milk that that has a, a cool band that plays at the local coffee shop? <laughs> no, it's made from hemp. Oh, I thought you said hep. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, okay." Sorry. Very groovy. And speaking of groovy, um, yeah, we have one of the coolest interviews that I think we did uh, with Mika Spielberg. Um, yeah. Let's get the the obvious out of the way. She is the daughter of Steven Spielberg. Um, Hollywood director of films such as Jurassic Park, uh, Back to the Future, and my favorite, AI. Yes, I'm going to defend AI and tell you I drink Coca-Cola and coffee in the same episode. I'm not afraid of my opinions. Rachel's freed me from it. Um, (laughs) I I, want to say something before we start in terms of uh, uh, the coverage Mika Spielberg has gotten in the media versus my experience with Mika Spielberg. I found that the... the I, Had you ever read anything about Mika before uh, we had put this up? Honestly, no. I did the research after the fact. So I had approached Mika Spielberg simply because she was a... Uh, we were trying to get someone in, in the documentary that was um, a sex... A sex worker, um, uh, an adult performer, whatever you want to call it, who had had a lot of attention. And so, Mm -hmm. to me, I was reaching out to lots of people. Mika Spielberg was one of them. And the coverage that is out there about Mika Spielberg portrays her as this unaware, you know, train wreck of a person. And it's so the opposite. In this episode... I mean, I, I I don't know how you view some of the things she said, but there's, I was in the same way that I was blown away by um, my black opinion. Uh, if you if you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to the you know a, a former member of this cult that was healing. I was very impressed in a non in in no way that I had to be with. Mika Spielberg's self-awareness, ability to know where she had weak points and strong points. I was not, and, and, and the media coverage that I saw was not really why I was approaching her either. I never approach any subject because they're controversial in that way. It, it was almost like no one was listening to any questions in the media that, that or, or the way she answered or even cared what she said. It, it's it's yep. to me very bizarre. It's not bizarre to me at all that the media treated her that way. Um, We still have such a bias and a stigma against sex work in our world. So it doesn't surprise me that they just wanted to dismiss her and make her seem as insignificant as possible for her opinion. Um, Because she's just a sex worker. And, you know, and I'm using the word just very sarcastically. And I think that you know, in conjunction with her being Steven Spielberg's daughter, you know, this wholesome kind of character, right? He's a person that has made all of these movies from our childhood. They just don't want to attach something like sex work to someone like Steven Spielberg. So they needed to make her less than. They needed to belittle her. And the media just keeps presenting exactly what society feels and believes it's 
it's fascinating because, you know, I'm glad that, that, that again, I'll say it every episode you're on, Rachel, I am, I'm glad that your perspective is here because it's, it's interesting that people kind of associate Steven Spielberg and, and obviously we're, we're getting all this stuff out of the way so that we can really talk about Mika later. This association with childhood and Steven Spielberg is so, mm -hmm. is so fascinating to me because as a film guy, I've, I rewatched a great deal of his films recently, just out of coincidence. And yep. <laughs> I can't think of any other major franchise, which the basic plot line is centered around incest. I've never back to the future. If you have not watched Back to the Future recently, yep. the incest theme is so strong and people are like, oh, this this movie is so, you know, my childhood is like, really? Like, it, you know, it's it's this thing where it's like these things that people I mean, even Jurassic Park, like I have a hard time pointing to maybe maybe uh, which, uh what do you call it? E.T., which I'm not as familiar with, but. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't but see his movies as childhood it, movies, you know? But you're looking at it from adult eyes. And let's remember that in the 90s, we were able to be a little bit uh, edgier in our kids' movies than today. Like, I think of Animaniacs and oh, the yeah. fingerprints um, joke that they made. And I was like, that would never fly today. Like, I watch children's TV with my daughter all the time. And like... The edgiest jokes will get a little chuckle out of me, but I'm never like, whoa. <laughs> that's whoa, a Steven that's Spielberg a joint joke. too. Did you did you yep. know that saying that? Okay. Yes. I never know. That's one of yes. my party tricks that he did uh Pinky and the Brain and uh Animaniacs. But yeah, you're oh, uh, right. Lake Titty Kaka. I mean, what a song. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> um I have I have a question for you later about a, a terminology thing that maybe we'll have for a little bonus episode. Uh, remind me about mm -hmm. that. But uh, okay, so that's out of the way. Steven Spielberg, and guess what? This is we talked more about Steven Spielberg than uh, uh, Mika did for the most part. Um, but we're going to launch right into this with clip number one. I'm like really, like really, really fascinated by everything you have to say about this. So you said you uncovered a cult. Yeah, we uncovered it. Is it? Sorry, go ahead. No, go, no, no, no. It's your question. <laughs> no, is it like a cult of like, uh, you said like people who are manipulating people into like stuff, or like is it like this is like because <laughs> like I'm fascinated with cults. So if you don't know any like anything about my story, um, I went to a boarding school for like three years. Mm -hmm. That was essentially like run by like the most like I guess like widely accepted like cult in the United States. I call it a cult at least. Mm -hmm. um, but like in normal like interviews where it's curated by PR, I'm like really not allowed to say that. Mm. So, um, can you say the name of yeah. the organization? It's like I mean like like LDS is kind of a cult, unfortunately. Like they're kind so, of like, um, Mormons. You're talking about? Yeah, they're kind of like that. Like yeah. I was taken from like a Jewish household and put into this environment like where like it was like I guess the opposite of what you're saying where it was like body's bad, sex bad, um, you know, personal freedom bad, like that kind of thing. Well, they they, they push this too. One of the things they push is men mm. not masturbating. Um, control over sex, we've learned, is a big part of how you can, you know, as you know from 
being someone in the field of sex work, like telling someone exactly what to do with their body can be very disturbing in a lot of ways. And so they tell men that they shouldn't sleep with women because women will manipulate them and take their money. And they tell men that if they um, touch themselves, they'll somehow lose, uh, I don't know, like... They, they they say it's bad for them and that they'll lose their focus in the world and they shouldn't masturbate either and that's what they told us like that's literally what they told us and let me just tell you like on trying to even undo that damage is is crazy it's crazy you know what hurts focus is not being in touch with your body yeah i just figured that out for myself like it hurts my job that i'm not as in touch with my body as i want to be thoughts yeah so you know she's right on the money you know, when she says like control over sex is really just how religious institutions have control over people um, and how like she's still hurting over, you know, like not being in touch with her body and how that affects her today uh, being such a significant experience. And I, I mean, I work with, you know, formerly religious folks or reclaimed religion. So people who have you know, kind of like shifted their religious identities. And I hear them speak about it all the time. Like anytime they explore their sexuality, they feel like they're at odds with God because of how much these religious institutions have harmed their sexuality and have harmed their connection to their bodies because there's so much control over it, whether it's clothing or how to behave in it or you know, like what we're allowed and not allowed to do sexually, um, it's all connected to having control. Yeah, I, I was not, and maybe I'm naive in this. Her description of the, this this control over her body and how that that's that's um like you know very detrimental to how she now views her body and someone else trying to control it. That all made sense to me, but I guess I was naive to the idea of, you know, I was aware that these these religious institutions where kids went to private school that there was um you know talk of in, perhaps in sermons and things like that uh, uh or you know in terms of the context of the Bible. I was aware of the stuff that people pull from the Bible that are you know, not the, not the best uh, pro-sex things. So, but um, uh, I was not, I, I call me naive. I was not really aware of like the active uh, uh, control over people's bodies and encouragement to not do things and just the, the, okay. the, the complete, per, you know, I, like, like hands on. I, I maybe I felt a little naive listening to this, that that right. was actually happening. It wasn't dogma. It was, and uh, someone's job. It was pretty crazy to me. Well, as a survivor of an Orthodox Jewish day school, where like they're now being investigated for colluding with somebody who had abused young children and they just like kept him around, even with that knowledge. And they have been known for having people that had sexually abused the students. That um, They've been known for having several members of the staff they're doing exactly that. They've received many reports. Um, wow. You know, with all of that, knowing that that existed, especially because I worked there while I was in college, so I got even more of a glimpse of that. I can tell you that almost every conversation um, has a layer of 
how you're supposed to behave in your body. And this fear of sex and any kind of intimacy before marriage. And the way they do it is really through complete control and inundation. And so, you know, like this is why people get married so young in the communities that I grew up in. And they have so many sexual problems Mm -hmm. because you can't just turn off this inundation. You can't just suddenly be a sexual person when it's suddenly appropriate. And then to explore your sexuality while you're married with a person and having all of these ideas about what sex is, is really challenging. So even if we did have open dialogue about sex, it always came with, but you can only do it like this and you're not supposed to do that. And this is how girls should behave. And this is what's supposed to happen. And if you're even perceived as somebody who is not behaving properly, they use the control of the community to harm you. Like my knowledge of things that were considered inappropriate because I was curious about drugs and why people do them and how they affect them that I got slut shamed for just knowing that what do, what does one have anything to do with the other I don't know but if Rachel already knows about drugs and she's definitely fucking and that makes her a <laughs> slut uh, well you so did you did admit you years. did admit to using hemp milk and everybody heard it <laughs> and I'm calling I'm calling God okay I'm gonna tell well, well, to be fair, this is also a very wealthy community and they were not like they were not snorting Adderall here, okay? They okay. were selling coke, sharing it between each other. Weed was all over the place. So they were all doing drugs, but it was mostly the boys who always had more flexibility to misbehave. Hmm. And I'm saying miss because I don't consider it objective misbehavior, but it is misbehavior according to the standards that we grew up in. Yeah. Uh, a quick thing I want to touch on just while we're, while we're, we're, we're really digging into this. Um, we mentioned, we're mentioning LDS, we're mentioning uh, private schools and uh, things like that in general. You mentioned briefly before controlling people with clothing. Um, I know that's a big part of orthodox Judaism. Um, I don't know how many people know about that. I guess that kind of stuff is coming out now. Um, but you know, I, for one, as a kid felt very, I felt that was so pedantic that someone wanted to tell you what to wear and what not to wear. Um, it it felt really odd to me. How does that stuff? I mean, what, what, what kind of uh, clothing things are we are we talking about? Um, I mean, in Ju- are you are we specifically talking about in Orthodox Judaism? There's these uh, long skirts and and things like that. Or was there anything else you had in mind yeah. outside of that? So there's different factions, right? So uh, the more secular, the more uh, flexibility there is. But in general, skirts have to cover the knees, sleeves have to cover the elbows, and collars need to cover the collarbone. Um, so you're not supposed to have any joints basically exposed, nor the collarbone. Um, and obviously everything in between has to be covered. So like no crop tops with long sleeves and <laughs> like turtlenecks. Yeah, there's which, a, there's the way, a raver have, out there who thought they were following all the rules by wearing leg warmers and arm warmers and then like nothing in between. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> have you heard Alton Brown said this? And I don't know if it's true. 
I, and I, I wanted to run it by you. Have you heard that uh, dark meat and white meat was invented? I've heard it in multiple places, Alton Brown and Penn and Teller. Dark meat and white meat was terms were terms invented because people didn't want to say thigh and breast about birds anymore. Have you ever heard that? I mean, none of that surprises me, uh, considering that like Victorians used to have long tablecloths to cover the legs of the tables because they were so yes, sexy. That's right. So I have heard that. <laughs> that's not shocking at all. <laughs> See, but th- then there's a person out there. But then there's, this is what I think of with all these things, these like ridiculous, you know, censorship things. Like there's one person out there who's just like, now that we've got the table call, like, you know, there's somebody, there was somebody who got excited, who was so into the human form that they saw legs on tablecloth. Like there's a sadness in me that thinks that someone was so repressed that they were like, man, these tables, what are you, what are you running a strip club in here, Bob? You got all these table legs out. Like that makes me sad that that person existed and was so horny for tables, but didn't, but never <laughs> got, never got to live it. You know what I mean? Like I doubt that there's people now we have so much exposure that, you know, you don't even get around to looking at a table, to table legs, but like, oh, I just want to meet well, that person consider, and let them bring them to Ikea, you know, <laughs> let them <laughs> well, go Ikea's nuts. Ikea's table legs, Ikea's table legs are not what we're talking about here, right? If we think about the art and the furniture of the Victorian era, they were meant to be seductive in that way. Like if you think about the table legs, right? Like Ikea's table legs are, you know, square, boxy, rectangular. Rachel, um, I don't want to accuse you of body shaming here. But it's well, sounding like that. Know, just, <laughs> just they're not curvy or ornate. That's all. <laughs> Don't tell me what it gets me horny for tables. Let's go to clip number two, which was yes. a moment I legitimately freaked out about. Yeah. So when we're talking about cults and okay, so this is like, oh my God, this is crazy. So how did you start this journey of uncovering this thing? I had a friend that was wrapped up in it. Um, is it like a MGTOW thing? They are MGTOW. Yeah. Whoa, okay, okay. So I guess Wait, get right. the headphones on right. first so we, <laughs> we can have the video too. Wait. That she's aware of MGTOW. She's aware. Um, again. Yeah, crazy. Not surprising. Uh, uh, go ahead. I want to hear your thoughts on this because mine are obvious, I think. But what, what did you think of that? Well, considering what we know about MGTOW, right, is that they're, sup- they're trying to extricate themselves from relationships with women where they can be manipulated uh, financially and emotionally by these evil overlord women of this society. And so sex workers are a way to be able to have sex like it's the loophole. And as much as like ideally they wouldn't be having sex at all, and they wouldn't be masturbating at all. If you must, you might as well do it with this arrangement. So she's a sex worker. It's not surprising that she has been surrounded by MGTOWs. If you or someone you know has experienced a hashtag cult, is trapped in a hashtag cult, or you have been affected by any group mentioned in this show, go to hashtagcult.org for resources or to get in touch with the show. We want to hear your story.